Well, we turn our attention now to Romans chapter 8, verses 18. We're going to read all the way down to verse 30. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation itself was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, He also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. Well, yesterday, my daughter Virginia and I had the privilege of going to the World War II Museum in New Orleans. We spent five hours going through the museum And it's more than simply just walking through a museum and seeing displays and artifacts and reading about them, hearing about them. This museum, which I highly commend to you, is an experience. It's an emotional experience. You you feel as though you have walked through World War II from from the very early years, just before the war started, all the events that led up to the war, and and all the way through to the surrender of Japan. Now, one of the highlights of the experience is that you, at the beginning, when you first enter the museum, you are assigned uh, a soldier, a real soldier. And as you go through the museum, uh, you, you go through different kiosks and you find out about their experience, this individual's experience during the war. And, and as you go through, you learn more and more about what happened to them. Well, incredibly, the soldier I was assigned was a chaplain. How does that happen? Uh, I thought, now something's up here. Somebody knows something, but that couldn't have been. They, they had no way of knowing this. This is definitely a, a providential act of God. The soldier I was assigned was this uh, chaplain from Louisiana, Opelousas, Father J.V. Lafleur. Now, Father Lafleur volunteered for the Army Air Corps, which became the Air Force, before, um, before America declared war. And he was stationed in the Philippines. There was a draft going on. He saw the men going, and he wanted to go and serve 
the men who were serving our country. He got stationed in the Philippines, uh, and when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7th, uh, they also attacked other sites in the Pacific, including the Philippines, where he was uh, stationed. The place where Father Lafleur was stationed was deemed unsafe, and so they evacuated those men to another part of the Philippines. As they were evacuating, they were shot at by the Japanese as well. They had to get on lifeboats to get to safety. He could have been evacuated, but he wasn't. He, he decided to stay with, a, with his unit and to continue to serve those men. Eventually, uh, in not too long of a time, the Philippines was overrun by the Japanese, and he was taken as a prisoner of war. He was a prisoner of war for two and a half years. For his bravery and service during the first attack, uh, where he was first stationed in the Philippines, he received the Bronze Star, the Distinguished Service Cross, and a Purple Heart, and continued to serve even in the midst of, of all the bravery he had shown, the service to others, and uh, being wounded himself. Well, here was a man who was a follower of Christ, and following Christ and fulfilling his calling to, to, to take Christ to, to people, uh, that took him down a path of self-denial and suffering. Now, yes, he was clergy, and yes, it was during a brutal war, but Paul says that this is the lot of every follower of Christ, not only Paul, but Jesus himself as well. We back up a couple of verses there uh, in, in chapter 8 to, to 16. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There is a, a glory to be had, but it, there's a path to that glory, and that path to glory the glory that God secures for his people is a path of suffering, a path of brokenness. Following Christ will put you at odds with the world because the world was at odds with Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I say to you, said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Now, following Christ will certainly put you at odds with the world. We see that increasingly so uh, here, even in the United States, as there's great animosity against uh, traditional Christianity. But it will also make you increasingly aware, following Christ that is, it will make you increasingly aware of the effects of sin in your own life, the effects of sin in the world, and especially in the, the individuals we, we love, and it will also help you to understand the effects of sin in creation itself. Everything is broken around us, people, even creation. Bob Dylan has a song entitled that, Everything is Broken. In it he sings, Broken lines, broken strings, broken threads, broken springs, broken idols, broken heads, people sleeping in broken beds, ain't no use jiving, ain't no use joking, everything is broken. Broken bottles, broken plates, broken switches, broken gates, broken dishes, 
Broken parts, streets are filled with broken hearts. Broken words, never meant to be spoken. Everything is broken. Seems like every time you stop and turn around, something else just hit the ground. Broken cutters, broken saws, broken buckles, broken laws, broken bodies, broken bones, broken voices on broken phones. Take a deep breath, feel like you're choking. Everything is broken. Every time you leave and go off someplace, things fall to pieces in your face. Broken hands on broken plows, broken treaties, broken vows, broken pipes, broken tools, people bending, broken rules, hound dog howling, bullfrog croaking, everything is broken. That kind of reiterates the, the situation we're in. Everything is broken. Can you identify with that? Maybe today you're sensing the brokenness of the world around you, maybe the brokenness of, of family members, maybe the brokenness of your own life, uh, the brokenness of your body breaking down, the troubles people around you experience because of their bad decisions, and you, you hate it for them. And the, the increasing difficulty, as I mentioned before, of living for Christ in our country. Everything is indeed broken. It's easy to get depressed as you think about this. But Paul gives us here in this passage that we just read three grounds of encouragement in the midst of suffering and brokenness. The hope of redemption, first. Secondly, the intercession of the Spirit and the purpose of God. These are all three sources of hope in the midst of this broken existence that is ours here on planet Earth. Now, firstly... Let's look at these in turn. Firstly, the hope of redemption is an encouragement in suffering. Now Paul in verses 18 to 25 gives us two facts, two Christian doctrines that everyone who is a believer must understand and embrace. And I think sometimes they get overlooked or forgotten. The first is this, that creation has shared in the fall of the human race. You go back into Genesis 3 when mankind ate the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. Uh, God came and confronted them and he placed a curse upon Adam, Eve, the serpent, and upon creation itself. In his word to Adam, God says, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for, for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Think what it must have been like to be a, you know, many of you are, are gardeners. Uh, think of what it must have been like to be a gardener in the Garden of Eden with no thorns or thistles or weeds. Uh, we can't even imagine what that would like in a perfect environment like that was. But now that mankind has fallen, there's a curse placed on all of the earth. And here in Romans 8, Paul describes creation in its broken state in three different ways. He says in verse 20 that the creation is subject to futility. The word means is vanity, subject to vanity. 21, uh, verse 21 tells us that creation is in bondage to corruption. And then in verse 22, it tells us that creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth. 
Well, there's futility. The word futility, as I said, is the same word as vanity. Uh, nature is coming to nothing. Uh, it is, it is uh, promising, but unfulfilled and unfulfilling. It's, and it's in bondage to decay. Nature was eternal before. Adam and Eve could have lived forever. But now there's decay. A, a continuous cycle of death and decomposition. When we're born, we are born to die. You know, we can start numbering our days at childbirth. They're counting down from that moment on. That's not how we were created to be. That's not how creation was created to be. But that's where we are in bondage to decay. We may go up, you know, in, increase in our strength and our abilities, but then we start to decline. I'm feeling that all too much these days as I try to train for a 5K that's coming up. I went out for a run the other day. It was so cool and beautiful and, you know, my legs just weren't cooperating. There was pain. There was shortness of breath. And, and I was looking out at the glory of creation in this beautiful, you know, beach. I was running along the beach and, and I, I wanted to raise my hands like Rocky because I was just so filled with the beauty and the, the wonder of creation uh, but, of course, I'm Presbyterian, and we don't raise our hands, and that would have been a bit awkward. Uh, so I kind of just waved them around like I was stretching out because I was really excited. And it's really hard to run with your arms in the air, too, when you're trying to get breath. But I was like, I wish that I was younger or had the strength that I once had, but it just seems like it's never going to come back. We're in bondage to decay. All of creation is in bondage to decay. Everything breaks down, wears out. And there's pain. It tells us that the creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Literally and metaphorically, the frustration and decay of nature is accompanied by pain and suffering. It's a fact of nature. There is pain and suffering, relentless pain that comes from first to last. A life is born and a life is lost. And in between there's pain and misery. But it's the pain of childbirth. Okay? There's good news at the end. As in childbirth, there's something joyful that happens at the end. Thankfully, I've never experienced birth except to, to uh, be there present when my four children were born. It didn't look like any fun at all. Uh, yet I convinced my wife to have uh, more children after the first one. And, uh, and she did that because there was joy at the end. There was joy, the joy of having a child. Uh, and and that, that makes you forget the suffering. And that will be true of us because this is the second doctrine that we see here. Yes, creation is subject to the fall of man and is in bondage itself. But creation is going to share in the renewal and redemption of the sons of God. Yeah, we will be, who are believers, will be renewed when Christ returns. We will live uh, together forever with the Lord. But it will be in a new heavens and new earth. The earth itself will be renewed. It will be everything that it was meant to be and more. Verse 19 says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Why is it eagerly expecting that, waiting for that? Because the creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay. It will be brought into the glorious freedom, freedom from sin that the children of God enjoy 
in those days. So those three marks of creation that we mentioned before will be erased. Where there was once vanity, where there was once futility, there is fulfillment. Creation will be itself like it was meant to be and even greater. Instead of decay, there will be strength and newness. Instead of things winding down, they'll continue to wind up and become even better. And instead of pain, there will be nothing but joy in those days. Even the pain of childbirth, as it talks about, that's going to result in something that is so glorious that we'll forget the pain and suffering that went before. Now this gives us hope in the midst of the suffering and brokenness of life. I don't mean to depress everybody by talking about pain and suffering and the miseries and brokenness of this world. But I, I do so not to depress you, but to, to bring in the hope, that hope that we are talking about that Paul is pointing us to. Yes, we may groan inwardly. We groan because of the problems we face and the difficulties of this life. But we must remember that it's not going to be this way forever. Verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In verse 24, he says that we had, that hope is why we were saved. That's what we're heading towards, that new heavens and new earth, the complete renewal and eradication of sin. And, and that hope that we have, we don't see it yet, we haven't gotten it yet, but we look for it. We wait for it with patience, the end of verse 25 says. We're waiting for it with patience. Yes, we know we have to endure pain and suffering in this world and the brokenness that exists, but we know that there's something greater waiting. I can't imagine what it would be to live as in, in this earth as an atheist or a nihilist. No wonder so many of them commit suicide because there's no hope. There's nothing to look forward to. They're food for worms and dust. If you're just living for this world, the Bible says that you're to be pitied. Millionaire, <clears throat> millionaire Malcolm Forbes had a famous quote that was made into bumper stickers back in the 80s, and some of you will remember them. He who dies with the most toys wins. Well, that's not the way it is at all. If you're just living for this life to accumulate wealth or to chase after anything this world has to offer without thinking about treasures in heaven and thinking about eternity, then you're to be pitied. There's something beyond our imagination waiting. It's coming. And it will make the suffering that we are enduring now, it will make the suffering uh, that you're going through uh, in your life right now, it will make that seem like that was absolutely nothing, and just for a moment. Chaplain Lafleur rode home after two years in a Japanese concentration camp, and he spoke of his hope in having a reserved seat in heaven. He was looking forward to that day. He waited for it with patience in the midst of his trial. In the midst of that trial, he continued to serve the Lord and his fellow man in the midst of great suffering. It eventually cost him his life. Now, not only do we have a hope to sustain us in the midst of the trial, but we also have a helper, and that brings me to the second point. The Holy Spirit, the intercession of the Spirit is an encouragement in suffering. Now, just briefly... This is a, a wonderful reminder, reminder. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Likewise, just like we find uh, help in remembering that we have a hope that there's something great coming, we also have uh, a, a, a hope and a, a help 
with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He helps us. That's when Jesus told us about the promised Holy Spirit. He says, I'm going to send you a helper to be with you, to dwell in you. Christ intercedes for us in heaven. But the Spirit, and this is something that's neglected sometimes by Christians, we don't think about it as much as we think about Christ interceding for us, but the Spirit who dwells in us intercedes for us in our hearts. As we go through this life and we groan under the brokenness and burdens of our lives, the Spirit is groaning with us and for us. Maybe for the things that we can't even express ourselves. Things that the Spirit may not be able to express, but He communicates it to the Father. And God, it says here, the searcher of our hearts, He knows what is being expressed by the Spirit because God and the Spirit are one. He knows the mind of the Spirit. And the Spirit, for us, always expresses the correct thing. As it says there, verse 27, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He prays a perfect prayer for you when you don't even know what to pray for yourself. Isn't that wonderful? That we have, uh, that we believers have the Holy Spirit to help us in our prayers, even when we don't know how to pray. As we live in and experience the, the brokenness of ourselves and this world, we can pour out our hearts to God, knowing that He hears and understands, and that and we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us helping us, praying for us, encouraging us in the midst of our suffering. So we have a, a hope for the future. We have a help in the present in the work of the Holy Spirit. But we also have, thirdly, the promise, the plan, and purpose of God. The purpose of God is an encouragement in suffering. Verses 28 through 30, great, wonderful passage that is uh, many people's favorite verse in the Bible. Uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And then he reminds us, not only, first of all, that everything that happens to the believer is ordained by God and is for their good. But it also reminds us here that God has a plan from start to finish that he's executing in our lives if we're trusting in him. He has a plan and he's executing that plan and it's a foolproof plan. Now, it may take us down a path of suffering. We may go through a, a valley of the shadow of death, as Psalm 23 talks about. It may call us to go through uh, the miseries of this world. But there's glory at the end, and, and we will get there. The final word, uh, word here in verse 30 is, He also glorified. Those He foreknew through the chain of events that He works in our lives he brings them to glory. That which he begins, he will finish. And there's a purpose behind it all. It's not meaningless. God has a plan. And God will finish it, bring it to completion. Now suffering can make one bitter. Suffering can make you a bitter person if we don't understand this verse and what the scriptures, scripture is promising here. I know a person, uh, a man who is, who's uh, been going through a, a very difficult period of suffering for years and he's become embittered against God and he hates God and there are many people that way and why are they bitter towards God if you think about it they're bitter because they're in a circumstance that is painful and difficult 
And they understand that God has power, but God is not using his power to deliver them from this suffering that they're enduring. And so they are thinking the worst of God, actually. He's all-powerful, but he's not using that power. And so they're bitter that he's not doing what they want him to do. But if we understand what the Bible tells us about God, yes, it tells us that God is all-powerful, but God has other attributes as well. God is wise. He's all-wise. He's all-loving, and he's always righteous. So you can't just pick the attribute of power and divorce him from all other attributes. Because if he's powerful enough to alleviate your suffering, and you believe that, he's also powerful or wise enough to know when it's time to deliver you from that suffering. He's also loving to know that he's putting you through this for your own good. See, God has all these attributes, and when we forget, we just focus in on the power part and think he's not doing what I want, we're forgetting he's wise as well. That suffering, the brokenness and the pain of this life in which we endure, God has a plan for it. It's working that plan out. He's bringing it to fruition in his power, in his wisdom, in his love, in his mercy and righteousness. If we knew what God knew, we wouldn't complain. If we could see the plan from start to finish and, the, and what's going to happen at the end, we would say, okay, God, I grasp that. Now, one day we will see that. We will understand it beginning to end. We will see it at the end, the fruition, and we will rejoice in his perfect plan for our lives. Well, Chaplain LaFleur's last letter that he wrote home was written on the back of a milk can label because that's all he had to write on and he spoke of being in heaven and he hoped that the Lord would allow him once he's there to roll back a, one little cloud so that he could look down and have a more beautiful view and a better understanding of what's going on in the world. Well I think his theology is a little flawed there and he's given in to a bit of sentimentality but we'll forgive him. He was in a concentration camp for two years with hard labor and, and the suffering that, uh, that he endured and others endured around him. But when we get there, we won't have to look down to understand. Once we reach that glory that is to be revealed, we will forget the suffering because it will be nothing in comparison to that glorious time. We will be able to see clearly the purpose and plan of God in its fruition. And we will worship. We will rejoice forever and ever. Now in the meantime, as we continue to press on through this veil of tears, we cling by faith to God who tells us that he has a purpose and a plan and he's working it even in the midst of suffering and brokenness. If you are a believer today, you can be encouraged that this labor, this tribulation, your trials are not in vain. The Lord knows. He's got a plan. He's given us a hope. There's something great coming. Cling to him in faith. If you're not certain where you are today, turn to him in faith. Put your trust in him. He'll work it out for you ultimately. And you will know glory everlasting. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you 
for your word and, and its wonderful promises. Lord, we thank you uh, that we have a hope, that we have help, and that there's a purpose and plan behind it all. Remind us of those things. Save us from becoming embittered. Give us endurance and strength for the journey. We pray for anyone here today who is uncertain of where they are spiritually. Lord, we ask that they would turn from their sins and put their trust in you. Give their lives to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.